So I really appreciated Sunday school this morning because uh, the fall of man is, is something that it's one of the very first stories that you learn, but it also presents one of the very first natures of God that you're introduced to, and that's the wilderness. There's so many things that take place in the wilderness throughout the Bible, but a lot of the times the wilderness is a place where you go to where there's nothing at, and sometimes it's easy to get lost in the nothingness and mistake that, that God has left you or that he's not with you. It's easy to have an affliction and not be able to move past that, get discontent, disheartened, or, or to not know what's going to happen next, which leads you to try to figure it out instead of allowing God to deal with, with you on So I'm going to go to pray over the word this morning. God, with all things I praise you, and I thank you for an opportunity to be obedient, Lord. I ask that you help with your word, God. I ask that you let it be perceived as it was revealed, and I hope that you apply it thereafter in each and every heart, each and every mind. Over here, God. Bless the Lord and the words that he has to say as well, God. And allow us to move forward under your will and know your way in all the things that we do, God. So we go to Genesis 1 and 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over all the fish of all the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for me. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for me. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God starts out by giving us everything. He gives us everything that we need to be prosperous. He gives us everything that we need to be fruitful and multiply. And if you go to Genesis 2 and 15, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helping for him. And of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them up to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was its name, thereof. God created man before he created the woman. God had placed him in the garden or in the wilderness, a place where God could come down and meet with him and be with him and commune with him, uh, created him in his own image. Genesis 3 and 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, Actually, I'm going to go before that. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees, the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. That tree was in the midst of the garden. It wasn't in that particular place. She had to actually leave where God had placed her, the area, the boundaries that God had set to go and get that fruit. And the servant said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. God never directly told the woman that if she ate of that tree that she would die. There's a reason that the servant didn't go to Adam 
And that's because he knew that that commandment came directly from God. But he was able to tempt the ones that hadn't heard from God directly. Sometimes there's going to be people in your life that are going to have things to tell you that are directly from God. Sometimes it's easy to stray away from that. Sometimes it's easy to get to a place where you say, well, you know what, maybe I didn't hear that from God. Maybe maybe that person wasn't telling me. Maybe that person didn't know. How could they have known? But don't lose sight of the things in your life that God has placed or the people in your life that God has put in place to tell you, to teach you, to raise you up and, and give you that faith that you need. Because when you leave that place, you're leaving the wilderness that God has prepared just for you. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the pool. In the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Lord God called unto them Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard the voice in the garden. I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Oftentimes, it's easy to hide yourself from God. You can't hide from God. He already knows where you are. But sometimes he sets the expectation that he wants you to answer him. He wants you to bring forth the things that are going on in your life. And if you'll realize that he prepared that place specifically for you, for your growth, for your nature, for your nurture, for your development, stay within those areas. God, he, he does it all throughout the Bible. He, he brings forth a wilderness. The children of Israel, they were, they were roaming the wilderness. Why? Because they were being disobedient. It's easy to get yourself to a point where you're being disobedient. It's easy to get down in the valley and... and, and have to stay there because you're only looking at the area in front of you and you don't realize there are so many elevated places. When you're walking in the valley, there are so many elevated places around you. God wants to bring you to those places, but he has to bring you to a point where he can condition you. Sometimes you get in the valley and you have to climb up multiple times. That's so you know the terrain. You won't have to stop and ask for directions if you'll allow God to move in your life and bring you to a point where his instruction is in your heart. Even David said, Lord, you know, Teach me your ways that I might not sin against you. That's the way that we all should be in our walk with God. In First uh, Kings, I'm not going to I'm not going to read it. I'll paraphrase. But in First Kings, he brings Elijah. Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness after hearing that Jezebel was going to come after him. This was a man who had just seen the absolute presence of God, fire rain from heaven, and take up a sacrifice. Multiple, multiple servants of Baal that were that were uh, just slaughtered before him because they served false gods. After seeing that, one woman, one fleshly person, made him run to the wilderness. But as soon as he got to the wilderness, he came to a place where God could talk to him directly. He came to a place where God could deal with him, move in his life and in his heart, and say, "There's work to be done." Encourage him, strengthen him. And Isaiah says, "Behold, I will do a new thing. Now shall spring forth." Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He wants to make a way in the wilderness. you got to be one of the left. And Hosea, God tells Hosea that he needs to take a prostitute for a wife over him. 
All throughout that process, she continues to return to the things that she had before, return to the things that even God says in that God says, I gave her those things. Even in her sin, I blessed her, and she's still returning to them. So God says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Acre for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth. Sometimes he just wants to bring you back your first things, so he can deal with you on those. And as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt, and it shall be that day, saith the Lord, that, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shalt call me no more Bali. Ishi there means husband, Bali means master. He, when you go to the wilderness, he wants to take you from a place where you're no longer going to be just a servant to him, but where he's going to have everything in your life. He'll be your spouse, he'll be your husband. And in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the fields and with the fowls of the heaven and with creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and battle out of the earth and I will make them to lie down safely. So a lot of the times when you're thinking about the fact that you're in the wilderness, when you're disheartened, when you don't know what to do next, God gives you instruction for that too. Even uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve, though his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I'm going to read that from the Amplified. It brings it out a little bit more. Paul said, But I am afraid that even as a serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, your minds may be corrupted and led away from the simplicity of your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And oftentimes that's exactly what he's trying to do. Is he's trying to get you away. He's trying to make you view the standpoint of, well, I'm going through something instead of saying God's bringing you through something. Amen. Instead of having praise and worship in a time of affliction, you end up getting lost in the Holy Grove. You end up sitting in it. You come to this still small place where you say, well, Amen. is he moving? Can he do it? Your problems don't surprise him. They That's never right. happen. No. Uh, I heard earlier that your trials are hand-picked for you. When you're in that wilderness, he's giving you every opportunity to stop being distracted from the serpent. Stop being distracted from Satan when he's placing a you, And start focusing on him. Start realizing that he wants you to grow. Start thanking him for the trial that's in front of you. Amen. What it's going to bring instead of what you're in. And oftentimes, you hear things like that. You think about, well, you know, why? Why me? Because you're called. Amen. Amen. In John 21 and 15, Peter is with the rest of the disciples. Jesus has been resurrected at this point. Jesus comes and he finds them. He comes to the shore and he finds them fishing. And in this, Peter says, well, I'm going to go fishing. The rest of the disciples say, well, we're going to go with you. I believe it was Victor Jackson went into this at one point. He brought out that the disciples went right back to what they were doing before they met Jesus when Jesus went away. Because, you know, it's even the disciples themselves, men who had spent 
all the time with Jesus, men who heard from him directly, men who had an opportunity to ask him questions, men, men who ate with him, slept with him, went to the wilderness with him, men who saw him tempted, men who saw how he handled situations, men who saw how he handled disbelievers, still referring back to the thing that they knew when his right. presence was no longer there. That's or right. when they thought his presence was no longer there. Mm-hmm. When they lost sight of the promise That's that right. was to come. John 21 and 15, it says, this is after Jesus has called out to them from the boat. Peter was so excited he jumped out of the boat, swam to the shore to meet Jesus because he knew it was him. This was also at a time where Peter, he had denied Jesus. He, I mean, this was, this was Peter. His shadow healed people. He would go on to be one of the greatest disciples. But Jesus, for most of the disciples, always said, well, even with uh, with Paul, when, when God called to Ananias, he said, for he knows how he would suffer in my name. It's, it's an easy life to live for God. It's an easy life to proclaim Jesus to everybody, but that doesn't mean that you have easy trials that you go through. That's right. But Jesus said in those situations, uh, Luke 22 and 31, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as me. <coughs> Peter, he's telling him, Satan wants you. Not only does he want you, he wants to separate you from my love. He wants to separate you from the things that I have planned for you. He, and it, it happens so easily, the same way that it did with Eve. Adam and Eve had the understanding and the knowledge that God was going to deal with them in the place that they were at, and that they still felt. So John 21 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Jesus said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said it unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. I dwelled on this for about a week, not too long ago, and I thought about why would he ask him three times? Why would he love me? He love me. He love me. And I thought about the ways that we love people in our in our fleshly nature, how we love people. And there were three primary ones that I came to, and said, "You love your parents, and your parents love you because it's it's that nurturing relationship. You love your friends, and your friends love you because it's that brotherly relationship. And you love." Your, your spouse, because it's the spousal relationship. God was basically saying, Peter, I know that you've been through a lot. I know that things have been hard. I know that you've been in a wilderness. But the solution to that is loving you. How have you been loving me? Have you loved me like a parent? Have you brought me to a place where I can nurture you? Have you brought me to a place where I can help you and I can be there for you and all the things that you deal with? Can I teach you? Are you teachable this morning? He's saying, do you love me as a friend? Do you bring me the things that you're not comfortable with talking to other people? Do you, uh, do you listen to what I have to tell you? Do you trust in me that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to come forth and do it? And he said, do you love me the same way that you would love a spouse? Do you, are you considerate in your finances with me? Are you considerate to the things that I've blessed you with? Are you considerate that I had value to your life? Are you considerate that you love me more than you love your own flesh? Have you been subjected to me? He says all these different things. 
in just those simplistic views of looking at your relationship with him. And it requires all three. You have to be willing to love him wholeheartedly and fully so that when you're in that wilderness, you have the understanding that he hasn't left you. He's not going to. Those afflictions are an opportunity to grow. That valley has elevated places all around it. He's He's got your number. You don't find Jesus. And he doesn't have to find you. He knows exactly where you're at. Oftentimes we get so lost on that leading the 99 mentality that we forget <coughs> where that one that's lost. We just start right. walking out Amen. and having the expectation he's coming for you. Amen. That's what the good shepherd does. Paul also said, and I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and close on this. This is 2 Corinthians 11. And I'm going to start at 1. What's a God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me? For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chastler to be Christ. But I fear less by any means as the serpent beguiled me through the sympathy. Oh, that's the wrong one. Still good though. <laughs> Who is he that condemneth? Is it Christ that died? Yea, rather, that is risen again? Who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us? He'll never fail to do that for you. He'll never fail to intercede. God doesn't fail you. Even in your hardest times, even in times when you never walk away, even in times when you get angry, even in times when you're brought to that way. Amen. He doesn't leave you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul wrote two-thirds of the Bible from some of the most unimaginable places. He was in prison. He was being followed. Before he went to, to appeal before Caesar and Agrippa and Felix, he was being followed constantly. He was kept inside. He was, he was a prisoner for a lot of the books that he's writing. He's absolute prisoner. He got some privileges above and beyond what normal prisoners would get. But at the same time, it doesn't make it any less hard. There were a lot of times when Paul didn't eat because it wasn't a choice. It was because he wasn't allowed to. There were a lot of circumstances, and yet... Paul and all of those things still consistently saw God. Amen. David, David spent years of his life in caves, and he still consistently saw God. Throughout everything that you go through in life, if you find yourself in a wilderness, if you find yourself wondering, is he still there? He is. He never left. Amen. Amen.